Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to read your word, to hear of your, your goodness and your love. Lord, as we seek you this morning, may you reveal yourself to us. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning's passage is from uh, Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. <clears throat> now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like sheep to a slaughter as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself? Or someone else. Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God add his blessing to the reading this morning. Glad to be here today to worship with you, and uh, we're thankful for each of you who have come to share your time with us and uh, to put the Lord first in your life today as you center your worship upon him. Suppose I found a way to make lots and lots of money. And I just loved to make money so well, and I wanted everybody else to make lots and lots of money. So I tried to figure out a way that I could share with everybody, no matter what their background, what their situation might be, how to make lots of money like I'm making. Well, that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? Well, you know, the scripture tells us here in the book of Acts about some fellows who had something that was much greater than making lots and lots of money. And that was this story about Jesus who went to the cross to die for their sins and then rose on the third day and promised that they too would have eternal life uh, as well. Now, that story was told in such a way that anybody could understand it. No matter what the background would be, what your situation in life might have been, anybody could understand this idea 
that Jesus loved them, wants to forgive them, and give them the gift of eternal life. You know, this was the strength of the early church, was is that they were able to take a message and apply that message about Jesus to anybody of any situation or background. Now, that was good in some ways, because lots of different kinds of people got to know Jesus. But it also had the potential to divide the church, because of all those different people, and also to engender opposition or persecution to the church because the message that they spoke. And so at the first part of this chapter that we didn't read, chapter 8 in Acts, it tells the story about Saul, uh, who later would become Paul because he was converted and became a Christian. But at this point in the story, Saul was still a, a Jewish leader, and he, is, along with all the other Jewish leaders, decided they would persecute uh, these people calling themselves Christians. Now, the reason they persecuted him was is that they, they didn't mind them uh, worshiping Jesus or having some uh, new uh, uh, different directions to their Jewish faith because there were lots of different uh, denominations of the Jewish faith, just as there are lots of different denominations of the Christian faith. But what they didn't like was is that these people were practicing their Christian faith without first practicing their Jewish faith, without first keeping the customs of the law and the prophets and the Old Testament. And so because they didn't practice their Christian faith in a Jewish way, they began to persecute them because they didn't center their life around the temple and the sacrifices and all of the things from the Old Testament. Uh, they persecuted these people. In the previous chapter, we see one of the uh, Gentile Christians, those who were non-Jewish, and yet Christians, one of those persons had been stoned to death. That was Stephen. And so uh, they decided since they got away with stone, stoning Stephen, they would turn against all people who did not practice their Christian faith with this Jewish background in mind. And so the disciples, those who were non-Jewish in their discipleship towards Jesus, uh, they were scattered throughout all of the area outside of Jerusalem. They were persecuted in such a way that they just had to scatter in any direction just to get away from Jerusalem. And it's interesting, this word scatter is the same word that Jesus used in the New Testament when he talked about the sower going out to scatter the seed. And the seed, Jesus said, was the word of God, and the sower uh, were the disciples who were to spread that word of God. And Jesus says in the parable of the sower that the sower went out to scatter the seed of the gospel, and some of that seed fell on hard ground like this floor, and it wasn't able to penetrate, and so the birds would come along and just eat the seed, and that would be the end of that plant. And then the other seed fell on stony ground, and that's the ground that had just a little bit of topsoil, and then uh, uh, the seed would penetrate and get a little bit of water, and it would sprout. But because there was no place for the roots to grow down into the ground, that seed would soon wither away when the rain stopped and the sun came out too brightly. And so that seed didn't produce anything. And then there was another uh, part of the seed that was scattered on uh, weedy ground, I guess, or thorny ground. And that seed would get scattered among these weeds, and the weeds grew up much faster than the seed did, and so it choked out the seed, and that seed of the gospel wasn't able to produce fruit because the weeds in that garden choked it out, and that was the end of that seed. But, Jesus said, there was some seed that fell on good ground, the ground that would produce 
uh, 30 times the amount of seed that was sown or 50 times the amount of seed that was sown or 100 times sometimes the amount of seed that was sown. And so that seed was very successful in producing fruit. And so these disciples were scattered, just like that seed of the sower. These disciples were scattered into the world around Jerusalem, not just uh, Judea or Galilee, but also Samaria and into the other parts of the known world at that time. This seemed at first to be a very troubling kind of a situation because, after all, these people had to leave their families or their homes or whatever it was their jobs and so on, and be scattered just wherever they could find a place to survive. But the amazing thing was is that God was able to take this what looked like trouble on the outside and turn it into triumph because the gospel then was spread and scattered throughout the known world of that time. People began to show up in Rome and talk about Jesus, and people began to show up in Greece, and people began to show up in North Africa. And some of the traditions tell us that people began to show up as far away as India and China and all those places because they had been scattered as the seed uh, to be sown. Philip was one of those persons who was scattered uh, from Jerusalem, and with him went this message of the gospel. And the truth of his message was verified by God through the miraculous healings that he did wherever he was preaching. They were ready to listen to what Philip had to say because his actions proved uh, that he really cared for the people because he was healing those who were sick and then also those who had demon possession and all kinds of other instabilities in their life. When Christians prove their message by demonstrating their love for other people, people are often much more quick to listen to what Christians have to say. And so... Today, for example, when we go on mission trips, as many people do who are uh, Christians, they go to other places and uh, perform uh, duties that are outside their normal uh, situation. When they go to those places and uh, other people uh, among whom they are ministering see them at work and they are ready to listen because they say, yeah, these people are rather unusual. What is it that they're spending their time doing? Kind of reminds me a little bit a few years ago, uh, many years ago now, about 40 years ago, I went to Haiti with a group of young people, and uh, we worked on a, uh, a Christian hospital and helped them fix up some stuff that needed fixed and did some painting. Uh, we worked at a, a school, Christian school, and a seminary, Bible college, and so on. And uh, the Haitian people uh, who were uh, kind of our guides and translators and helpers and so on would often ask us the question, well, why are you here? What are you doing here working at this school or at this hospital? And we'd explain to them, well, we came here because Jesus wants us to help other people who might have some needs that we can uh, fulfill. And so they were ready to listen to our testimony when we had testimony meetings. We just had little testimony meetings in the evening and sang some songs. They would listen to our story because they said, well, most of the Americans we know, the only reason they come to Haiti is because they want to have a cheap vacation along the coast. There's some beautiful ocean beaches and uh, beautiful blue uh, waters there. And those were the only kinds of Americans most of these Haitians had ever heard of were people who just came here to have a good time and then go back to their prosperous lives in the United States. And so those Haitians often would believe our testimony 
because they could see by our actions that we really cared for them. And the same is true yet today as people do mission projects, whether it's here in this country or someplace else in the world. When Haitians believed our testimonies, when they accepted Jesus, there was a great party. Uh, there was a baptismal service along uh, some creek or pond or river or if we were close enough to the ocean, in the ocean. And uh, so they would celebrate the new belief, the newfound faith of these Christians who accepted Jesus and were baptized. In chapter 8 and verse 8, it says, there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city because Philip had spoken the good news about Jesus, and he had followed up that good news about Jesus with the miraculous signs and water wonders, and so there was great joy in the city. And that's the way the Lord wants us to have, a life that produces great joy in the cities wherever we go and tell our testimonies. But sometimes when we tell our testimonies, or sometimes when the gospel is spoken, uh, people misunderstand or misapply the teachings about Jesus. And that's what happens here in the next few verses in chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. This is a a, a story about a fellow who was a, um, an entertainer, I guess, in those days. Uh, they call him Simon the Sorcerer. And uh, Simon the Sorcerer was a popular fellow because he did uh, what they thought was magic or what they thought was miracles, but was really just tricks that he would do in order to gather a crowd and then, of course, pass the hat in order to earn a living. So Simon was a popular entertainer, and he was thought to have a power called the great power, a divine power called the, the great power. And so people were drawn to him to see what he would do. Well, he noticed whenever the crowd started to dwindle away, when this fellow Philip showed up and uh, started to do his miracles. And so Simon, uh, the sorcerer, went to hear Philip. And like many of the people who heard Philip, he accepted Philip's message and said, yeah, I, I understand that. This, was, this is good news. This Jesus, God's Son, took upon himself my sins on the cross, died for my sins, and on the third day was resurrected from the dead to promise that I too one day will be resurrected from the dead. I too one day will have eternal life. And so Simon became Simon the former sorcerer. He now became a Christian. But as he travel around with Philip and watched Philip continue to do miracles, and he heard Philip's teaching, he uh, misunderstood and misapplied uh, what they were teaching about God's power and God's availability and what God would do in people's lives. Well, meanwhile, back at Jerusalem, this is kind of like those cowboy shows, you know, they'd say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Harry and Joe were out looking for the cattle. Okay, well, this is meanwhile, back at the ranch in uh, Jerusalem, uh, these guys uh, heard, hey, the Samaritans have received Jesus. My, I can't believe this, they thought to themselves. We thought this Jesus uh, gospel was just for us Jewish people. And here are these strange people called Samaritans, these half-breeds, they've received Jesus. So we better go down there and check it out. So they sent Peter and John to Samaria, to the cities where Philip was preaching, and they had the good news, you know, there's something that God wants us to share with you folks who've become followers of Jesus. God wanted them to be united with the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. 
He wanted the Samaritan Christians, despite their, their differences from the Jewish Christians, he wanted them to come together and be part of the same church. And the way that happened, God decided, was to send uh, Peter and John with this special power of the Holy Spirit to anoint these people so that they could see the oneness, the unifying power of God to bring people of different backgrounds together under the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's power changed those people uh, in Samaria when the Spirit came upon them. The gift of the Holy Spirit was a unifying presence, and they began to put aside their differences, and there were a lot of differences between the Samaritans and the Jewish Christians. They were becoming one in Christ Jesus. It's the absence, I think, of the unifying power of the Holy Spirit that many times divides Christians in our world today and divides Christians from other people. The Holy Spirit causes uh, people uh, to put aside their differences. But when there's a lack of a focus on the Holy Spirit and God's direction for people's lives, then they tend to uh, look at the differences between themselves and others rather than sharing in the similarities of what God's power should do to change our life and change our lifestyle, change our attitudes, change our priorities. So people who are empowered by God's Spirit are unified under the theme of Jesus' love and forgiveness. And uh, they don't just focus on rituals or customs like uh, uh, what day of the week you worship or uh, you know, what kind of clothes you wear on Sunday morning or what translation of the Bible you might be reading from. Whatever those things are, those are things that are just uh, uh, insignificant compared to the unifying power of Jesus' love which we should share not only with other Christians, but with those people around us in the world that need to know about Jesus' love and forgiveness. So Simon, the former sorcerer now, had not allowed the Holy Spirit to make those changes in his life. For some reason, he wasn't able to change from his old habits of, you know, power and prestige and let's make lots of money kind of thing. He wasn't able to put aside those former thoughts that he had before he became a Christian, and to focus on this unifying love of Jesus instead. And so he, uh, without that Holy Spirit's direction, without that Holy Spirit's understanding in his life, he misapplied the teachings of these uh, disciples concerning the Holy Spirit. And so he thought, uh, hey John, Peter, how much money do you want so I can have that power to anoint people with the Holy Spirit? And boy, you tell, uh, talk about uh, somebody getting angry, you know. Here, uh, Peter and John didn't like that. that uh, they thought, oh my, where have we gone wrong? You know, this fellow's completely misunderstood what God's power and God's love and God's forgiveness is all about. God's love, power, forgiveness, strength, direction, and so on are not to be bought. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it anyway at all. It's all a free gift, as we talked about last week, the grace gift. Uh, of God from, from his power in heaven. And so without that understanding of the Holy Spirit, um, Simon, the former sorcerer, misunderstood. And so Peter and John said, hey, if you want to get right with God, here's what you got to do. And in verses 20 to 24 in the passage that uh, we read here from, from Acts, uh, he gives them, he get, uh, Peter and John tell Simon, how to get himself right with the Lord, 
so that he can receive the power of God's Spirit in his life. He said, verse, first in verse 20, he said, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with this money. He said, you got to get your attitude towards money right. Uh, and uh, that's right up first, right first thing he said. You've got the wrong attitude towards money. And Simon thought you could just use money to get your own ends, and money was to be used to gain something personal for yourself. Uh, and Peter and John were saying that's the wrong attitude towards money. And we could uh, spend a whole... Uh, several sermons on talking about what money's all about, and we'll do that another time perhaps. But, but anyhow, he said, you have to get yourself right with your attitude towards money. Money is to be used generally to advance God's kingdom and to help other people around you and not just something for your own selfish gain. And then second, they said in verse 21, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. So they were saying, change your heart towards God. Oh, I'm thinking of that song. What is that? Change my heart, oh God. Uh, make me ever anew. <laughs> change my heart, oh God. What's the next? May I be like you. May I be like you. Yeah. I, you are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray, right? Change my heart, oh God. Make me ever anew. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Boy, that's a wonderful song, isn't it? If you, hopefully you can remember it better than I have. Change your heart, they said to Simon the sorcerer. And that's really what has to happen, doesn't it? If we want God's spirit to have power to direct us and enable us to live our Christian life in the right way, we have to change our heart uh, before God. And then third, in verse 22, they said, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you. Repent. We've talked about the word repent. Repent's a very easy name, a uh, very easy uh, concept. Repent just means to turn. Turn from going one direction and go the other direction. Uh, Paul puts it in another way. He says, old things have passed away. All things should become new. And Jesus says in the new heaven and the new earth passages in Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus wants us to repent, turn around from whatever our sin might be. It might be alcoholism, it might be drug abuse, it might be pornography, it might be gossip, it might be gluttony, you name it. There's all kinds of sins. We all have our favorites, don't we? <laughs> we won't have to, to uh, uh, share those this morning. We'd be here forever, wouldn't we? But all of us have a particular sin or two that might be a problem for us, and we need to turn away from those sins. And for Simon the sorcerer, that... Sin was thinking that power and prestige and money were the most important things. And so he had to turn away from that and repent of that wickedness. And then verse 23, he says, uh, For I see that you are full of bitterness and you are a captive to sin. Bitterness is, uh, I think that was in one of the songs that we sang this morning too. Bitterness is a, is a real problem for us sometimes, isn't it? When we get jealous of somebody or what they have, we get envious of somebody or, and what they are able to do and we're not able to do. Any number of things can cause bitterness to come into our life. And when we allow bitterness to come in, nothing else can live there very well, can it? We can't 
function as we should. God's Spirit can't speak to us when we have this root of bitterness in our life. And so it says, give up that bitterness uh, that's made you a captive to sin. And then finally in verse 24 he says, uh, Simon says, pray, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He asked Peter and John to pray for them, and I'm sure he prayed himself. Lord, forgive me. That's, uh, I understand now that I've sinned and I've fallen short of what I should be as, as a Christian person. So that's a prayer that's appropriate not only for people who've not yet become Christians, but it's also a prayer for those of us who are Christians. Sometimes we fall and uh, fail to live up to what God wants us to do in our life, and, and God's Holy Spirit convicts us of a particular thing or two, and so we need to pray for forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And we need to ask other people to pray for us, because sometimes, you know, we just need that extra help prayer, don't you? I, I know I do. Sometimes I just don't know what to say in prayer, or maybe I don't even feel like praying. And so fortunately I've got brothers and sisters in the Lord that can pray for me when I get in that situation. And so all of us need to ask uh, for people to pray for us, that we can return to the life of loving Jesus and following his direction in our life. So we might ask ourselves this morning, have we changed from the old ways to the new ways in Christ Jesus? And then we have this account that... Uh, Brother Dan read to us this morning about Philip. Philip's kind of an interesting fellow. This being Father's Day, we might mention that Philip had how many daughters? Anybody remember? Seven daughters. Man, I mean, if any father need prayer, man, Philip must have needed prayer <laughs> to have seven daughters. I mean, I, I never had any daughters, and uh, I think the Lord was smart when he made that decision for me. <laughs> I don't think I could have, couldn't have, you and I both, right, Mark? <laughs> The Lord knows who can stand daughters and who can't. My, my father-in-law was uh, blessed to have five daughters, and I, I saw the poor fellow pulling his hair out. More. <laughs> but he did a good job of raising those five girls. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, we have uh, Philip, the, uh, the evangelist. He was a non-Jewish uh, person. He was a Gentile Christian, and he went off to wherever... The Lord called him to work. And maybe, again, it was because he had those seven daughters at home. You know? <laughs> they, maybe they got together once in a while and say, well, where's Dad today? Well, I think the Holy Spirit took him to a Zostas, or whatever it is. And, oh, where'd Dad go today? Oh, I think the Holy Spirit sent him to Samaria today. You know? And so <clears throat> they never knew exactly where their father was going to show up, but they were glad, I'm sure, because later those seven daughters became prophetesses too, and they became great leaders in the early church. We don't know all the details about them. But evidently, he did a good job of raising his seven daughters with his wife, and they became great followers of Jesus and made a difference in the world in which they lived. <clears throat> the Ethiopian eunuch, though, he came to know about Jesus. He came to know about Jesus because Philip uh, was available to speak to him about it. This Ethiopian was a God-fearing person who was of different skin color than anybody else had been in the church up to that point. And so here we have the gospel going across another border, a border of uh, skin color. The gospel had gone across language borders before this. In Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, people of all different kinds of languages heard uh, the gospel in their own language on the day of Pentecost. So it crossed language borders. It crossed cultural borders when the gospel went to the Samaritans, as we mentioned earlier. 
He was also an unclean person according to the Jewish customs of the day. Due to his physical condition of being a eunuch, he was an outcast, more or less. He would not have been invited into the temple for worship, nor could he have been a regular member of a Jewish synagogue. So the writer of Acts goes out of his way to show us that the gospel reaches across all kinds of barriers that keep people separated from each other. The cultural differences, the language differences, the skin color, the disabilities, the diseases that we might have, all of those things are washed away when the blood of Jesus comes into someone's life. When someone accepts what Jesus has done for them in their life and asks him to forgive their sins, then all of those barriers, barriers can vanish away. Because God knows that all people need to find peace. All people need to find hope in a hopeless world. All people need to find faith in a society that doesn't treasure faith any longer. All people need to find love in a very unloving world. And all people need to learn the teachings of Jesus, his moral and value guidelines for our life, and such things as the uh, Sermon on the Mount and other things. People need those kinds of things in their life. And so the gospel is addressed to people of all different kinds of needs, whatever they might be. So Philip reached across this cultural difference to the Ethiopian eunuch. And we can use those same methods that Philip used to reach the Ethiopian today. We can be sensitive to God's spirit. In verse 26, the spirit says, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he was open to the Spirit, and off he went to that road. Philip was available. He said, so he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch. He started right out. He was available. He didn't say, well, you know, Lord, I'll be glad to work for you, but wait until I retire, and then I'll have my pension, and then I'll have lots of time to work for you. Or, Lord, wait until I get married, and then my husband and I, or my wife and I, will be able to work together then. Philip didn't have any of those kinds of things. He was available right when God's Spirit called him. And he went out of his way to help fulfill God's plan. Philip took the initiative. In verse 30 it says here that uh, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? He uh, took the initiative. He responded to this uh, Ethiopian eunuch's uh, question about the scripture. And the Ethiopian said, how can I know, how can I understand, unless someone explains it to me? So, Philip, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Philip responded to the Ethiopian eunuch's invitation to help him to understand scripture. There's lots of people in this world who read the scripture. They read the Bible. It's amazing when you uh, hear these surveys, people who are not necessarily connected to the church or whatever, they'll read a psalm every day, or they'll read uh, two or three times a, a week from the gospel or something. They're interested in that scripture because that scripture is thousands of years old, and people understand it through the conviction of God's Spirit in their life that that scripture has something to say to them even today in this time. And so you and I who have studied the scriptures, who've had an opportunity to read the scriptures and go to church and Sunday school for many years perhaps, we, we have a chance to be able to share the Scripture and help people understand what they have already have some interest in the, the Scriptures that they have read from time to time. 
And so Philip was tactful, and yet he was accurate when he spoke to that Ethiopian eunuch. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized, in verse 37. So Philip agreed with the man that he understood what it meant that Jesus was the one who was the sacrifice for our sins. He understood what it meant when Jesus was the one uh, who took upon himself the sins of the world so that the world then might receive the righteousness of Christ in, in, uh, in the time in which we asked Jesus to come into our heart. And then he said, uh, you're ready to be baptized. And so they stopped the chariot, got off the chariot, and went down into the water, and Philip baptized him there. Here in a few weeks, I think, in August, I believe, we're planning to have a baptism down at, down at the lake. And uh, perhaps maybe some of you have not yet experienced that step of faith in baptism. That would be a good time. Why do we baptize? We baptize to honor Jesus' example. In Mark chapter 1 and the other Gospels, it talks about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, Hey, no, I, don't, I don't want to baptize you, Jesus. I, you need to be baptizing me. But Jesus said, No. He said, This is to fulfill the righteous requirements of what God sent me to do. And so Jesus submitted himself to baptism. And we want to honor Jesus' example by being baptized ourselves. We baptize also in obedience to Jesus' command. The last words that Jesus said was, Go into all the world and Preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we are baptized, we're obeying Jesus' command to be baptized. We baptize believers so they can identify with Jesus, uh, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. Paul goes into it in detail in Romans chapter 6. You can read that chapter later. But, Jesus, but Paul says what we're doing when we're baptizing, we're lowering somebody into the water, and when they're lowered into the water, that's symbolic of their death to their old life of sin. And when we raise them back up out of the water, we're symbolizing their resurrection. Just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we're symbolically saying that this person too will be resurrected from the dead at the end of time. And they will have a new body. And they'll live in an eternity in the new heaven and a new earth. So we are identifying with Jesus' death and his resurrection in our baptism. And then uh, we also, in baptism, have an opportunity to share our witness with other people who have not yet been baptized or share our witness with those who have previously been baptized and celebrate, just like in the, the passage there in verse 8. There was great joy in the city. There, you know, baptism is a time of great joy, a good time for Baptist uh, party. You know, we like to party, so Baptism's a good time to do that, to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. So if you'd like to think about joining uh, with us in that uh, age-old uh, symbolic exercise of baptism, we'd be glad uh, to share that with you. But finally, we see here at the end that not only Philip, but the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way, what? Rejoicing. They were glad of what God's Spirit had done in their lives. And we see that as they went their different way rejoicing, that God's Spirit went with them separately. That God's Spirit is with us when we are together celebrating, but God's Spirit is also with us as we part and go different directions into the life of service that God has for us. So I challenge you today as you depart from this worship time, 
to wherever you may be going to invite the Holy Spirit to be with you and guide you and direct you and help you. And if you haven't yet received Jesus as your Savior, then you haven't yet had opportunity to have the Holy Spirit come and guide and direct you. And today would be a good day for that, to come and share uh, with us. And we'll share with you about how you can find Jesus and his love and forgiveness, his promise of abundant life and eternal life. Shall we pray? Lord, we're thankful today for your presence with us as we have worshipped here today. We're thankful for those who lead us in worship and for the scriptures that you have clearly given to us so that we can learn how to be better followers of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit might move among us as we conclude our worship here and that your spirit might move with us into lives of service for your kingdom. And Lord, if there's any here today that might need to make that decision for Jesus like Simon the sorcerer did long ago and like all those other people that Philip preached to, May they make that decision today or in the near future, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.